The four-wheel chase experience. I love it. The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. I'm down for it, so... Jeff Meller, ESPN 1000. What's up? How you doing? What's up, Will Chase? How are you, my friends? What's going on? I'm doing good. As always, excited for uh, Super Bowl 58 on Sunday. We've been doing this for the last couple of years. I think the first time we uh, did a podcast was, I think it was Buccaneers and Chiefs already some, uh, what, few years ago at the very least so uh and as as the theme has always been Kansas City in the Super Bowl unless you talk about that Rams Bengals Super Bowl a couple years ago that we talked about as well but the Chiefs are just a common denominator lately aren't they yeah that seems to be the case that's what happens when you have a all-time great quarterback right when you've got that guy at the helm a lot of things work around him and that's clearly where we're at with Patrick Mahomes these days it's been you know kind of crazy I was thinking back the other day actually you know, for a lot of people who are hardcore football fans, they'll remember on Christmas Day, the Chiefs are playing the Raiders, right? And I think, you know, and it was a fairly early game. I think it might have been like a noon or 1130 kick, whatever. Who can remember these days with the the way the NFL just oversaturates oh, every yeah. hol- holiday, right? But nevertheless, I remember on Christmas Day, kind of like we were hosting at my house here and we were just kind of like, you know, getting ready. And it was like, I just assumed that the Chiefs were going to absolutely destroy the Raiders because they had a lot in the line. They were still kind of playing for home field advantage. And no, that's not what happened. Jack Jones actually had that pick six, which kind of set the tone for the Chiefs. I'm sorry, for the Raiders. And the Chiefs never really were able to find themselves that day. Now, maybe that should have been a tip off that Antonio Pierce actually had the Raiders moving in the right direction. But I just remember thinking on Christmas Day, man, I can't believe the Chiefs are at this spot. And now fast forward, whatever, eight weeks later, and they're back in the Super Bowl, and they really haven't changed a whole lot from Christmas Day. They really couldn't because you can't make any roster moves at that point in the middle of the season, but you just have a little bit more from guys like Marquez Valdez-Scantling coming up with a catch here or there that he wasn't making during the regular season. You have uh, Rasheed Rice really coming into his own and kind of establishing himself as the alternative option you know, to Travis Kelsey. So now not every team can focus. And then, of course, the defense, which has really led the way for the Chiefs. But it's it's just kind of like crazy to me that they've done it and they did it beating the Bills. They did it beating the Ravens. Um, so, you know, maybe we should all stop, you know, being surprised when we see Patrick Mahomes lead the Chiefs to do these sort of things at this point. But I have to admit, on Christmas Day, I did not think the Chiefs would be Super Bowl bound. Yeah, I remember that Christmas game. I think everybody was surprised. Just the fact that, like you said, the Raiders were going in there and just beating up the Chiefs. And the Chiefs just fell off all regular season. I mean, at least compared to what we're used to from them. They just, the offense wasn't quite clicking. They were dropping all kinds of balls. I mean, it just, they just felt, uh, I don't want to say beatable, but they just weren't automatic like they've mm-hmm. been the last few years. And uh, going into the playoffs, I was high, not in any particular order, but I was high on the Niners, the Ravens, uh, and even Buffalo. I thought Buffalo was finally peaking at the right time. Uh, but once the playoffs got started, I found myself thinking, well, I like the Chiefs over Miami. I like the Chiefs over, you know, Buffalo, because even though it was, it was going to be Mahomes' first true road game, I couldn't bet against Mahomes. I can't bet against the Chiefs. And then, of course, with Baltimore, I said, I think they're going to beat Baltimore as well, because I just can't count them out. And I know I told you a couple weeks ago, for me, the Chiefs have become the old Patriots already to where I just can't count them out no matter what the matchup might look like or how good, say, the Ravens might have been. Uh, I thought Mahomes versus Jackson or, you know, however you want to slice it up, I just couldn't take – I just couldn't count the Chiefs out. And did you feel the same way once the playoffs got going where you were thinking, I like the Ch- – maybe you didn't like the Chiefs as a team better, but – Mahomes or that X factor or were you still thinking I like the Ravens or I like the Bills better? So, you know, for the Bills, I was a little concerned heading into that game. I thought that in Buffalo and to your point, it felt like the Bills were finally kind of at a point where I now I didn't necessarily think the Bills were Super Bowl bound either, but I thought this it was an opportunity for them to get the Chiefs 
Um, so the way that game played out, though, was a little bit surprising. I thought the Bills, in some ways, let the Chiefs play a game that benefited them. You know, I think the Bills should have done more. to They, they, they tried to play a ball control game where they limited the number of possessions. And the truth is that as the more explosive offense, at least the way I felt with Josh Allen at the helm, I thought they should have tried to push the tempo a little bit more. And they didn't. They were more um, willing to, you know, just kind of like eat some clock, long sustained drives and limit the number of possessions. And ultimately, I think that ended up being their downfall. Of course, they did have some moments too where they struggled against the Bills defense. So, or I'm sorry, the Chiefs defense. But that's that's one thing I keep getting back to is, you know, for, for everything that's easy to just say, oh, yeah, it's, you know, Mahomes leading the way again and having Mahomes magic. It, the, the Chiefs defense, you know, has really stifled, you know, I, the Dolphins was a completely different aberration because of the weather and, you know, two has got his own limitations. So that game didn't impress me nearly as much, but yeah. the way they shut down the bills and then it's hard to say, you know, how much was them and how much was the Ravens not really committing to the run and making it more difficult on the chiefs defense. Um, so you got to put a little bit of it on the Ravens, but heading into the Baltimore game, I, again, I, you know, maybe this is silly for me, to have doubted Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, but I thought that I truly thought that the Ravens were going to win that game because they have been so good, you know, DVOA, which is one of the, uh, you know, one of the metrics that everybody likes to cite when you're talking about just how good a team is as a whole, like the Ravens were the best team ever heading into an AFC championship game at that moment to actually make the AFC championship game. Like there, they had no peer, and so it really felt like, okay, if ever the Ravens were going to be able to beat the Chiefs, this was a perfect scenario. And, you know, again, I don't know how much of it you have to put on Todd Monken for not really committing to the run, how much of it was. Lamar Jackson had some opportunities. You know, he he had a couple of deep throws that he did not connect on. He overthrew his wide receivers on a few. And, you know, those are big plays that you you can't really get back in those big moments. And, of course, Zay Flowers with that critical, not just on sportsmen like conduct penalty but also the huge fumble at the goal line taking the ball out of bounds you know that possession in itself really felt like the game changer for the Chiefs so even though Mahomes survives in advance and gets to another Super Bowl you know it does feel like they've been um a little bit blessed along the way here yeah yeah no that makes yeah I feel that I kind of see that too um like Baltimore offensively didn't didn't do much Mahomes just had to do enough really uh, maybe the Buffalo game is one that stands out and that's on that path for them just because of going on the road and, mm-hmm. you know, getting by. Like you said, it felt like the Bills probably one of their best chances in terms of at least getting past Kansas City. Maybe not the Super Bowl, but at least, you know, I, I think if I don't know what would have happened if it was Ravens and Bills, but I think um, I would have probably felt better, even better, if that is, about the Ravens in that situation. But uh, cause, like I said, I was high on Baltimore all season and then you know, playoffs happen and then people are going to doubt Lamar again, but I, you know, uh, real quick, I I, I tend to agree with you. Had the bills made it through uh, to play the Ravens, I think the Ravens would definitely have been able to beat the bills because the bills defense, you know, that was the real problem. I think for them is they really couldn't stop the chiefs and, you know, partially because they don't have as good of a defense as some other of the playoff teams, but also they were just completely destroyed by injury at that point. You know, they had some key, defensive players out. So I think the chiefs really took advantage of that as well. So, and you know, the one back to the chiefs Ravens game, one more minute here, because um, it really felt like after the first couple of drives that the chiefs were just going to run away and hide. Right. But I thought it was interesting. The Ravens defense really did, you know, kind of step up and keep them in the game because I kept feeling like had the chiefs just scored one more touchdown on several different drives, that the game was going to be completely out of reach for the Ravens and to the Ravens defense's credit, they never really let up. And so the chiefs allowed the Ravens to hang around in that game. And like I said, we get back to when, you know, Zay flowers, if he just breaks the plane of the goal, you wonder how that game might've been different. Yeah. I remember that play. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It it came down to like little stuff like that for the most part. Um, Yeah. Defense kept them in it. And yeah, talking defense, the chiefs, 
for them and the you know like the last uh, few years at least defense wasn't really their you know their strength and here it is the re- one of the reasons why they're even in this situation now um, the offense wasn't great throughout the regular season the defense was good and in the playoffs defense has been really good uh, I I saw where they're the youngest defense or it's, it's the Chiefs have the youngest defense in the league and it's up there with like. The Ravens' defense from, I think it was 2000, the Buccaneers from 02, the Legion of Boom Seahawks defense in terms of points allowed in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've been just on fire. And like I said, the Chiefs I, I, the Chiefs just felt weird all year. They're the, the defending champs, but it just felt like this is the year they're going to get you know, tripped up, um, and again, they just make it happen. It's like they kind of flip that switch, like those really good teams can do in any league, where you kind of get through the regular season, but you make the playoffs, and then all of a sudden things just kind of click. Do you think they just kind of flip that switch? I know you were talking about the defense and everything, but does it just kind of feel like they're just good enough to where they can flip that switch and things can just kind of happen? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. You know, that's one of those things where I don't, I don't, I don't know if it necessarily is as simple as saying that because I, I think, look, Mahomes, especially, you know, uh, I don't have him in front of me, but like, you know, and I could probably pull him up too as we're talking here. But like, you know, his career stats in the playoffs, which now I think is, is he through 17 games in the playoffs, maybe 18. I can't remember off the top of my head, but like his playoff um, stats now uh, are over the equivalent of what would be a NFL regular season game. And if you really dig in and look at him, I think that's one of those things where you see the difference, right, between um, someone like him and what he, you know, what others do. We're talking in the playoffs against the best of the best, right? Like, like you're playing elite teams for the most part in the playoffs. I just grabbed it here. He's played 17 games. So now it's a full NFL season for Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. And he is 14 and three. He has a 67 completion percent, 67% completion percentage. He's thrown for 4,802 yards. He's got 39 touchdown passes and only seven interceptions. And oh, by the way, he's also got another 458 rushing yards and five rushing touchdowns. So we're talking about a guy who, you know, through the playoffs has given you, that would be an MVP season for almost, you know, virtually any NFL season, if a guy put to, put together those stats in a regular season, and Patrick Mahomes has now done that in his postseason career against the best of the best, and you know that that is something where when the moment is at its biggest, that's where I think you can't really count out what he gives you, right? Like it's just so hard to you know yeah. it's an intangible that most quarterbacks don't have. So in the biggest moments, Patrick Mahomes plays his best. And so if you want to say, you know, they flipped a switch, that that's where I think you could point to Patrick Mahomes being the difference maker. But again, you know, it's these plays here or there that, you know, when you're playing close games, like it, it'll flip on a play yeah. here or there. And, you know, same thing, you know, I, I get the, the Chiefs would have gotten the ball back, but of course, missing, you know, wide right for the Bills, you know, that takes them out of the game. That ends the game essentially right there, you know. And, you know, I'll go back to it again, the Zay Flowers fumble. I, I think the Ravens could have won that game if he crosses the goal line there. So, you know, it's all these key little moments. But, you know, um, you know, so I don't think it's as simple as just flipping the switch. Maybe it's just when you've got a guy like Patrick Mahomes who, um, you know, I, he gets – everyone's comping him to Tom Brady. But, yeah. And, and maybe it's not just Tom Brady, but it's also like, you know, Joe Montana. Like famously, Joe Montana, he's Joe Cool. Like in, you know, in the in the Super Bowl – Against the Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Montana with uh, an opportunity to, I believe they were trailing by three, if memory serves, against the Bengals. Um, it was the second time the 49ers played the Bengals. So it was back in like 1989, 90. Um, and the two minutes to go, uh, two minute drill, the Niners are trailing by three. And as he's getting ready to start the drill in the huddle, uh, 92 yards away from their own eight, Joe Montana famously, as he's getting, calling out the play, he points out and says, hey, is that John Candy in the stands? And, <laughs> yeah. you know, like to, to just basically, you know, settle the nerves of his teammates, but also like pointing out that like in the biggest moments, he was able to be calm, cool and collected. And that's the thing I think you see from Patrick Mahomes is like he never gets frazzled. I think we saw a little bit, bit of that from both Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, right? In the yeah. fourth quarter, 
in some big moments. Like, you know, there was the, before they missed the ball, uh, missed the kick wide right, Josh Allen, you know, misses a throw um, to, uh, who was it? Was it Gabe? No, it wasn't Gabe Davis. Who was in the end zone? Was it Shakir? Can't remember. But he, you know, he, 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 he went for it on that drive. There's a wide open Stefan Diggs, you know, going over the middle, um, who we could have just checked it down to. So it's little things like that where, you know, we don't make a lot out of those things, but I think that's where you see the difference between a guy like Mahomes and you see the similarities between him and Tom Brady and the and Joe Montana, the all-time greats who have won three or more Super Bowls. And you say the reason they can do it is because in the biggest moments, they, they just don't get nervous. They do what they need to do. Whereas the his contemporaries, the Josh Allens, the Lamar Jacksons, they maybe get a little bit nervous because they've never actually won a Super Bowl. And so they do grip the ball a little bit tighter and they try and make a play that, you know, while if they, you can pull it off, more power to you, but maybe the de- degree of difficulty is harder than just taking the dump off to Stefan Diggs right over the middle and, you know, getting a first down and putting your, your team in a better position. So I think it's the little things like that that we don't maybe um, drill down on, but I think that's where you see sometimes the difference between Mahomes and some other great quarterbacks in this league. Yeah. Yeah. As far as Mahomes' legacy now, I mean, it's this, what, fourth Super Bowl. Uh, he's two and one right now. So if he wins a third, that just puts him in an even more exclusive air. But like you were talking about, comps to Tom Brady and right away once the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl I'm hearing people say oh he's the you know Mahomes is the goat or he's about to be the goat and I feel like you're a little bit more measured on this sort of stuff but if he does win this Super Bowl that's three and four already and he's just basically in the peak of his career so who knows the sky's the limit but really what I'm trying to get at is Mm -hmm. already do you put him up there as like a top five quarterback just because of the accomplishments of Super Bowls and all that stuff yeah, look, I think I think top five makes it pretty easy. It's pretty yeah. easy to put him in the top five. I think, you know, if you want to get all sports radio-y, podcast-y, you know, Mount Rushmore, I think yeah. you could pretty easily put him on there with Brady and Montana. And then we can just, you know, debate all day about whether you would throw Marino or Elway, you know, or some of the other greats um, on that fourth spot. But I think, I think uh, because of their Super Bowl wins, Montana um, – Brady and Mahomes kind of stand above the rest. You know, we'll see. Now, this is, you know, this is, here's the thing, though. It's not fait accompli, of course, because I do think the Niners have a decent chance of – they're better than decent, right? They're the yeah. favorite in this game. Right. So yeah. it's certainly possible that the 49ers come out and if they get the run game going, um, especially their zone running game, the Chiefs struggle stopping zone runs, which is what the 49ers do so well. So, you know, there's certainly a path – an easy path to see victory for the 49ers. So it's crazy if Mahomes, Mahomes, if the Chiefs lose this Super Bowl, all of a sudden, you know, everyone's going to say, yeah, well, the whole idea of him being the GOAT is now completely off the table because he's lost, you know, half of the Super Bowls he's always been in, which is always, you know, kind of absurd that we, you know, basically boil it down to something, you know, so simplistic, but whatever, that's, that's kind of the way, the way people go. I think calling calling Mahomes the goat is silly because you know yeah. he's like seven Super Bowls and not just seven Super Bowls, but you know nine Super Bowl appearances for Tom Brady is just absurd. So um, I think the crazy thing is you can say, well, Patrick Mahomes has you know he's in his fourth Super Bowl already at this age, so he's certainly got a path where he could he's you could be you could be in play with matching some of those Brady accomplishments, but you know, we're, we're, we're riding the high right now. Like if, you know, next year, the chiefs for whatever yeah. reason, you know, can't get back to the super bowl things at, like Kelsey, like Kelsey retires, right. Yeah. All of a sudden, once Travis Kelsey retires now, and, and I'm sure Rishi Rice looks like he's going to have a really nice career, but you're going to need more than just, you know, him. If Mahomes is going to continue to, you know, threaten Brady's records and win some super bowls. So, you're going to, the Chiefs are going to have to find another offensive weapon, you know, somewhat in the, you know, vicinity of what Travis Kelsey brings to the table because um, it's been crazy to see what they've gotten to the Super Bowl with this year. But I can guarantee you, if you take Travis Kelsey off this team, there's no way in hell that the Chiefs would be in the Super Bowl right now. So it's one of the things where it's easy to say, oh, I could, you know, I could see uh, Pat Mahomes, you know, going on and playing in 10 Super Bowls and, and winning eight. Yeah. But the reality is that, you know, it's so hard to do. And so that's where I try not to get 
too crazy. Yeah. Um, I think he's like the crazy thing is this through this, whatever it is, uh, seven years in his career to actually say, Hey, he's got a chance to, um, compete with Brady. That's amazing in itself. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, but yeah, I, I think there's still a lot of work to do and it's some of it's out of his own hands. He needs Brett beach to continue to put good players around him. And then we'll see how long does Andy Reed, you know, truly want to continue coaching. Now I think, it, you know, if I were Andy Reed, I wouldn't be looking to get out anytime soon, but again, right. um, it, you know, it's easier said when you're my age, as opposed to Andy Reed's age, he may actually say, all right, well, I've done a lot and it may be time for him to go. Although, as I say that, I don't really believe that because Andy yeah. Reed is, you know, always been an NFL head coach. He's always wanted to coach. So I don't know what, what he would do in his free time. So, um, but nevertheless, at some point that day will come if it's not, you know, soon. And then you wonder, okay, well, who, who would the replacement be? You need, you need a lot to go, you know, to be great around you if you're going to make Super Bowl runs year after year. I do feel, <laughs> I don't know that I'm, 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 I'm laughing only because, uh, I'm, I'm imagining if the next coach really was Matt Nagy, I don't know that I would think the Chiefs are as invincible as they feel right now, just because you have Mahomes, but then it's like, okay, I don't know if it'll be Matt Nagy anyway, but I didn't think he'd be the offensive coordinator either. So here we are with that. I mean, you know, it's, it's a comfort level thing. And, you know, yeah. I, like, I, I don't know. You know, the other thing too, is like, they've got uh, Steve Spagnola on the staff as well. Yeah. And, you know, clearly he's got head coaching, you know, in his mm-hmm. uh, career uh, as well. So you could see it, you know, kind of going both ways, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess you probably, it, it's hard too, because, you know, Spagnolo had no real success as a head coach, but it was in St. Louis with a Rams yeah. franchise that was a complete mess. So I don't know how much yeah. of that, I don't put that all on him, but it would be interesting to see who would be the guy who, you know, I would think, you know, if you're the chiefs and, and, whatever, if it's, you know, after this Super Bowl or if, it, you know, they win and Andy Reid wants to ride off into the sunset um, or if it's a couple, you know, two years from now, um, you know, I, I could see why you would want to keep someone on the staff and just elevate them because continuity and you've had a lot of success, you know, so and you've got two guys on the staff who have been head coaches. And for all the Bears fans who like to, you know, just rip Matt Nagy like he was the worst. I mean, he's got an NFL coach of the year on his resume. So for, and truth be told, you know, if it's not for a double doink um, that, that sent them out of the playoffs, people might feel far differently about Matt Nagy as well, you know? So it's one of those things, you know, it gets back to little, little moments in the playoffs can really um, define your career in, in just an outsized way. And so, but it's a long winded way of saying, you know, I could see them going in either direction. If Andy Reid did choose to retire this year or next. Yeah. Um, as far as the Niners, they've been one of the kind of, I would say one of the best teams for sure. Pretty consistent. Uh, and Brock Purdy basically just wins, even though, I mean, he got blown out by the Niners on uh, on Christmas night, or uh, by the Ravens, rather. The Ravens blew them out. Uh, and I thought the Ravens, I actually thought the, I don't know what I thought. I think I thought the Niners were going to win that day for some reason, but Baltimore just had their way with them, and Purdy mm-hmm. had like four interceptions, I think. Um, but for the most part, outside of that three game, they had like, what, five wins in a row, lost three in a row. And then they went and won, I think, six in a row. And then they played Baltimore. Baltimore blew them out, and they basically won out, I believe. Uh, as far as the Niners go, defense is good. They probably are the best overall team. But obviously, the X factor comes down to Brock Purdy. What's he going to do in this the biggest game of his life? As you said, the Niners are favored. But I still would feel... If the Niners did win, I don't think I'd be surprised. They are, like you said, they're favored. They are really good. I would assume it would be a close game. Maybe, like you said, you know, a bounce goes their way here or there. Christian McCaffrey always scores touchdowns. The defense could have a, a big day. But um, I would imagine it would have to be a pretty close game if the Niners did win and Purdy had to do either just enough or was the X factor and just balled out that day. But as far as the Niners go, how do you feel about him and Brock Purdy leading the way for them? So, you know, what we've seen in the playoffs is uh... – Purdy has really gotten off to some slow starts in both the games that the Niners have had, but Mm -hmm. he's come back in the second half and played better and similar to the way he's played during the regular season, but he'll throw some, or 
he has thrown some very interceptable passes. He's been fortunate yeah. at times in the playoffs, a couple of, you know, I think two in each game um, by both the Packers um, and then the Lions that were not picked off, which obviously, again, those are huge game-changing moments where if you come down with them, I mean, you know, Kindle Vildor, if you don't let it hit off your face mask, right? It's a, com- it's a, com- it's a completely different football game. So, you know, or um, who was it? Who was it for the Packers? Was it, uh, God, I'm trying to remember now. Um, was it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't Rashawn Gary. It was, um, but nevertheless, uh, whoever it was, uh, you know, like there's a pick six waiting for the Packers there. So there's a couple of moments there where if, you know, the opposing team holds onto the football, you know, I don't think the 49ers are in this position, but I agree with you on the roster, you know, number two through 53, the 49ers have the advantage on the chiefs. So, um, the question is, can Brock Purdy just kind of do what he's done for the most part, execute the game plan, and then avoid some of those, throwing some of those passes um, that are interceptable? And if, if he happens to throw a couple of interceptable balls, will the Chiefs make plays on those? That's, that's kind of like the way I look at it. Um, I think if, I do feel like if, the, if, if Purdy avoids the turnovers, I do think the 49ers will... Um, score some points against this good Chiefs defense because I do think um, what Kyle Shanahan brings to the table, the ability with Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and Ayuk, you've got so many weapons that teams need to be uh, afraid of and aware of. And then the way he the way he just um, camouflages everything with formations, you know, the the 49ers don't run a ton of uh, a ton of plays. But they just have a bunch of different looks, which makes their plays look different to the opposing defense. But they run the same plays over and over very effectively, which is part of the reason why they're such a good offense. So it's one of those things where I think if Purdy avoids the mistakes, I, I very, I definitely think um, the 49ers will end up winning this game. The question is, you know, does he avoid the mistake, mistakes? And, yeah. you know, this is one of those things, too, where, you know, I, I don't know if people forget. But it always feels like we have a very slow starting first quarter with the Super yeah, Bowl. I just think, right. you know, because I think everybody's like, all right, like they're getting, they're trying to feel it out. And especially um, if you haven't been there before, um, a lot of, uh, you know, although I guess both teams have, you know, plenty of guys because the 49ers did play the Chiefs, whatever it was mm-hmm. um, back in 2020. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, it always does feel like nerves and just the, the whole pomp and circumstance that like, like what is it? It's it's scheduled for a five thirty kickoff, so we'll see what time it actually kicks off. This is one of those things where every year it's like it always feels like it's at least fifteen minutes later than it's actually scheduled to start, um, which you know that throws players out of their rhythm. They're standing out on the field much longer than they usually are, so that's why it always feels like you know it takes teams you know a, a lot longer to get in the rhythm of things, and so um, we'll see ultimately how it plays out. But you know, and that's the thing where Brock Purdy. We'll see if his inexperience shows because he never has played in the Super Bowl. And so for someone like him who, you know, everything's been like, can he actually lead this team to a Super Bowl? This is one of those moments where he's going to have to fight those nerves and just go out and try and play like, you know, like it's a normal football game, which we all know it's not. Yeah, I was just thinking about that when you mentioned that about the uh, the slow kind of first halves and everything, the pomp and circumstance. I think I even mentioned or brought that up last year, too. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking about how it seems like a lot of these games do kind of start out slow. It's like 7, I don't know, 7-3 maybe in the second quarter or halfway to halftime. Although last year's game was pretty high scoring. I don't remember the first half score, although I think Philly was up, if I'm not mistaken. But either way, uh, that got to be pretty high scoring. But uh yeah, I was thinking about that. Maybe that benefits a guy like Purdy if he gets off the slow starts and he kind of gets his feet under him. They stay in the game, and then the second half comes around, and then it's just Purdy and does this thing. But, um, you know, I was thinking, too, so Kyle Shanahan, maybe outside of Andy Reid, is the best coach in the league right now, certainly maybe in the NFC. But uh, he kind of I, – I guess if you want to talk legacy, I've been hearing people say this, too, about – you know, he kind of needs this Super Bowl because you, you think about the 28 to 3 game with the Falcons, Patriots, when he's the coordinator there. And um, he already lost one a couple of years ago against these Chiefs or the Chiefs mm-hmm. anyway. Um, yep. And, you know, playoff losses the last couple of years. So, not that if he loses this game, he's, he's going to be there next year, of course. But, uh, yeah, 
he might be the best, one of the best offensive guys in the league, but obviously having the ring on your finger is what he needs yeah. at this point. No, so I listen, I think Kyle Shanahan is uh, uh, far and away the best offensive play caller in the league. Um, and uh, I would say, you know, and I honestly, I don't even think that is up for debate. I think anybody who, you know, I, I read and watch a lot um, and anybody who covers the league closely will tell you that Kyle Shanahan is pretty unanimously thought of as the best play caller in the league. Uh, but of course he, you know, the quarterback has been an issue for them. And, you know, I do think this is for legacy purposes. I, I, it's one of those things where I do think it's, it's really big for the 49ers because, you know, it's not getting to the Super Bowl. They've already done that, been there, done that. Right. And so now they really, and, and again, this is, they're the favorite and I don't know how you can, like if you think about it, all the conversations around like the the the, the team building, um, how do you go about it? What's the best way to do it? You know, the Brock Purdy, you know, 49ers are like the alternate universe to if you can't land the quarterback, well, go about it and do it the way the 49ers have. Well, here's the thing. Brock Purdy right now we know is obviously on that rookie contract, but mm-hmm. – this is it is kind of like win now for the 49ers because Brock Purdy only has a couple more years left and all yeah. of a sudden, you know, all these great players surrounding him are you're not going to be able to retain them all and truth be told that outside of the quarterback as players age, you know, they they fall off a lot quicker in football. It's just a, you know, brutal sport takes its toll on you. So, while you people like to build around build up a a great roster around your quarterback who wouldn't the truth is that, you know, it, that has its limitations. And I think the 49ers, and I'm sure I know Kyle Shanahan uh, recognizes the opportunity here. You only get so many cracks at it. And so even though they're going up against Mahomes, it's one of those things where if they can't finish the job, the, the entire offseason for the 49ers is going to be devastating. Kyle Shanahan's going to have to sit with another Super Bowl loss, you know, on his ledger the entire offseason. So, the more, the, the, the more I think about it, the more I keep coming back to, I, I do believe that the 49ers, if Brock Purdy can avoid that mistake, will win this game. Um, and, but again, it's just kind of never know how a guy's going to perform on these, on these big stages until you get out there and see him do it. So, yeah. you know, but, but from a talent standpoint and scheme standpoint, I do think Kyle Shanahan and the Niners are, um, have the advantage but again, like, you know, it will, will like the, the other problem, I guess the one, the one big criticism of Kyle Shanahan for me is that I do believe, you know, he gets too conservative at the end of the half. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, we saw that play out against the Packers where they were just more than happy to settle for whatever it was like a 47 yard field goal for Jake Moody at the end of the half. Yeah. And you know, th- this is where, I differ like you, I think if you have a good offense, you want to be more aggressive and try and create that two for one. But I know Kyle Shanahan and it's not just him. There's a lot of coaches in the league who, who, when they have the ball in that position, their first priority is not to let the other team score, right? Like, like they don't want to give the, like, of course they're trying to add points to the scoreboard for their team, but above all else. And, and I've heard Tom Brady say this as well in that, you know, when they're entering a two minute drill, the first priority is to make sure at the two minute drill at the end of the first half, the first priority is don't let the other team score any more points. So you, so you have to be methodical in your approach. I just think Kyle Shanahan has been way too conservative though in that, like, you know, and maybe it is because like Brock Purdy will throw an interceptable ball from time to time. But I do think, you know, it's the biggest game of the year and we'll see how he, how he plays it out. But that's been something that has been that has driven me crazy a little bit during Kyle Shanahan's ten tenure is that he's too conservative at the end of the half when his team has the football. Um, and sometimes in you know close games when you're trailing by seven points, those are the drives that you go back and wish you could have done something differently with. Yeah, uh, against Detroit, did you think the Lions had that one in the back, or were you expecting the Lions maybe not to blow it, but were you thinking the Niners can still you know come back and maybe win mm. this thing? Um, hmm. so I was definitely at the half. 
when they kicked the field goal instead of taking the touchdown. I, I was all for that. I, I thought it was – I was down with it. Um, I always go back to analytically – the whole idea of going for it on fourth down near the goal line, one of the huge pluses in your favor is that if you fail, you're putting the team pinned, pinned yeah. back at, near their old goal, old, own goal line. However, in that situation, the Lions had seconds left, and so they weren't, they weren't going to you know, get that benefit. So I was totally cool with them kicking the field goal, and then I think that put them up 24-7 to seven, if memory serves, right? So that made it a three score game at the minimum, two touchdowns, two extra points. And then that you only get 16. So in that way, I thought it was a good move to make it a three score game. But then where things went a little sideways and, and where I thought the, the Niners started to have a chance was the Niners come out at half and they kick a field goal. And so they don't score the touchdown, you know, so they make it to whatever it was, 24 to 10 at that point. Then the Lions, on their first possession, come down, and instead of kicking a field goal on fourth and whatever it was, three or something like that, I think with the Josh Reynolds doesn't come up with the catch. That, that's where I start to wonder, like you know, why Dan Campbell, where I think he got it, he let it get away from him because yeah. in that same moment, if you kick the field goal, and of course you have to make it, so that's where we can start to debate the decision, but if they kick the field goal, they're now in the exact same spot they were at at halftime where they're up by three scores. However, they've taken like eight more minutes off of the clock, right? So now you've put the 49ers in a position where you've just made it that much harder for them to come back and complete, you know, complete this comeback. So it's, that's where, when he went for it, I was saying, and if this was even before Josh Reynolds drops the football, but at going for it, that was why, where I was like, uh, I don't know about yeah. this. I, I think you're, you're giving the 49ers a chance to get back into the ball game because if they come up with a stop, well, now they've got a chance here to really gain some momentum. And so that's where I think the Lions let them back in that game. You know, now again, if, if he attempts to, kick the field goal and Badgley misses because Badgley hasn't been very consistent. Well then, you know, my argument is out the window anyway, but that's where I think I would have uh, opted for the field goal because I think you've already, you know, it's playing to your advantage. And so in that moment when they decided to go for it on fourth down and I felt like they were giving the 49ers a path back into the football game. Yeah, I, I thought in the second half and the Lions went for it both times, I thought they should kick the field goal because I especially the second time because at that point it, it just felt like okay, they're giving them some momentum and then it they just kept going for it. And I get that mm-hmm. that's what the Lions do. They go for it. That's why they were, you know, largely in this situation to begin with, but one game winner take all, it just felt like okay, just kick it and take the extra take the points that you mm-hmm. you can get. But do you like the fact that teams are so analytically inclined to go for two more than ever or do you feel like in this situation like in this situation well, so is it going like, for two or is it on like on fourth down are you saying oh. or just all all of it kind of wrapped up together like yeah is there that's a li- true. you know they're, they're going things. for two or, or going for it on fourth down i mean yeah i do for the most part you know there's been i do like the approach to being more willing to go for it on fourth down and this is where two but it depends on how you're approaching it. And the one thing I think the Lions, Dan Campbell, and Ben Johnson really did well was that they made it not just a philosophy, but by making it your identity and being aggressive, you've also given given yourself and your play caller the advantage of knowing on third down, you don't need to pick up that fourth down. And that is so critical to going for it on fourth down and being willing to go for it on fourth down is that if you're going to do that, you want to have the ability to say, okay, I don't need to throw a pass past the sticks here, right? If I throw something underneath and I, you know, if it's third and six and I, I, I throw something underneath to pick up three or four yards, give my receiver an opportunity to pick up the first down, or if he gets tackled, I know I'm going for it on fourth down and I've made it a much more manageable fourth down. I think that's really the key, right? So that's where I don't like it sometimes when you, you see a team and you kind of like look over and in particular, because it's fresh in my memory, I remember moments where Matt Eberflus seemed to be making a decision in the moment where, all right, 
he was like mulling it over on fourth down. Are we going for it? And there were moments where he would end up going for it. And there were other moments during the season where he'd end up punting it. But it truly did when you looked at the camera. You, now, yeah, I can't tell you definitively if this is what he was thinking, but it always seemed like he was thinking it through in those moments. And sometimes I think if you're, if you know, you, or it's, it's like you want to know, okay, on third down and seven, if we pick up five yards and it's fourth and two or less, we are going. That's the advantage. You have to know that in those moments. You can't be mulling it over when your player is tackled, you know, right at the line or right at the first down marker, right in front of it. And you can't then be deciding on fourth and one, okay, are we going to go for this? Because that's where you, you know, I think you kind of lose the advantage in those moments. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so basically it sounds like you think assuming, you know, Purdy has a pretty clean game, you you mm-hmm. have the Niners winning, right? I do. I do think the Niners will win, but again, this is making the assumption that Brock Purdy yeah. plays, you know, closer to he I think if I think if Brock Purdy plays the way he played against both the Packers and Lions, then I think I'll, I'll probably end up looking foolish because I do think, you know, um, the, the chances are likely that at some point you keep throwing interceptable footballs and, and there will be a defense that makes you pay. And the Chiefs have been one of the best defenses all season. So in that sense, I think I will end up looking foolish. But um, maybe it's just because I have uh, a little more faith in him stepping up to the moment. But And then he will, I think their skilled position players will end up making the Chiefs. And, and I think ultimately we haven't really seen the Chiefs' offense really be forced in a, into a position this year where they've had to, like, you know, keep pace with another elite offense. That's where I think we would finally see, you know, some of the limitations of this Chiefs' offense come to fruition. Um, but again, this is all based on the fact that Brock Purdy needs to play the way he's played for the majority of the season. If he plays like he did in the playoffs earlier, or even against like how he did against the Ravens on Christmas Day. Then, then, then ultimately, then I think Patrick Mahomes will just end up leading the Chiefs to a third Super Bowl in what would it be uh, five years. So, yeah. Uh, do you feel like the game will be close, or do you think the Niners could put up, you know, win thirty-one twenty or something like that? I'm thinking like twenty-seven twenty-four, something like that. Yeah, I, I, I think it'll be, um, I think it'll be a fairly close game. I don't think, uh, I don't think the Niners will run away and hide, and I certainly don't think the Chiefs will do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I think we're looking at, you know, a, a game within a touchdown. Now, the Chiefs could obviously still cover the spread in that scenario, but I think we end up uh, looking at a game that's a uh, one-score game, ultimately. Do you think if the Niners win, Purdy is the MVP? Or, I mean, if he just does enough, is it like Christian McCaffrey probably coming away with that? So, it's always, like, I it's, I always, Super Bowl MVP is such a, a weird thing because yeah. they... They, they have to vote before the game's actually over because mm. all the reporters who are covering the game need to get to, down to the locker room, down to the field, so they can do their post-game interviews. So, you know, you end up having a, a, a vote for the MVP before the game is even wrapped, which is always um, one of the, you know, the most absurd things I think I think you do in sports because, yeah. because people end up putting, like, a lot of importance on it. Um, and sometimes it's not, always it doesn't always go, I think, to the guy who's most deserving. So like, I, it's hard. I, I have a, I, I don't think I could accurately predict, um, how things will end up going. Right. And ultimately too, if, uh, if McCaffrey, you know, has a big rushing game, th- that could be the reason why the 49ers win, but you know, maybe they use, you know, Debo in near the goal line. And so it's like, McCaffrey could have 150 50 yards from scrimmage, but if he doesn't score a touchdown or two, and but like one like Debo ends up scoring two touchdowns, well then yeah. who knows? Like like yeah. so, a lot of times it's predicated on who ends up. If, if if you have a guy who scores a couple of touchdowns and he has a decent yardage day, a lot of times that guy will end up being you know your Super Bowl MVP. And if you don't, if you've just got like, you know, them spread out, well, then you're talking, you know, it's almost always the quarterback in that scenario. if He's got two or three touchdown passes. So, you know, I always have a hard time um, predicting, you know, Super Bowl MVP. If anything, uh, I will always, you know, if I'm making a play, I'll always look look through the MVP odds and and start to look at some guys who I think could be um, longer odds. Like, I think I haven't looked 
since the beginning of the week on the MVP odds. Like Travis Kelsey, I think his odds are a little bit longer. He might be like 10 to 1 or something. And he that's a scenario where I could see if he got two touchdowns, right? Like I could very easily see him getting, you know, Super Bowl MVP. So it's one of those things where I'd be looking to make a value play at who's got some longer odds. Um, that would be, you know, maybe Isaiah Pacheco, right? Because like yeah. I could see a scenario where he scores two or three short touchdowns and that would be the path to victory. Um, Mahomes, it just doesn't feel like uh, it's good value betting on Patrick Mahomes because obviously um, – you know, like I said, there's a couple different paths for why other guys could get it on the Chiefs. And, you know, ultimately, it's just it's not a good value play to bet Patrick Mahomes to win the MVP. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we wrap up, um, I'm sure you're pretty excited about the Bears having three Hall of Famers going in with uh, Mongo and Hester and Julius Peppers. So that's pretty cool, right? Yeah, listen, um, in terms of uh, excited, I am so happy that Steve Mongo McMichael is getting his due recognition. He's somebody who absolutely deserved it. You know, the what he was able to do, he was um, the unheralded star on the uh, that vaunted 85 Bears defense, um, and not just 85, but the entire, you know, 80s, the decade of the 80s. Um, and Mongo ended up being, you know, uh, a member of the Bears for a lot longer than a lot of those other players on that 85 defense, you know, for the longest time, Steve Mongo McMichael was the all time leader in games played in Chicago bears history before I think Patrick Manley finally passed him, you know, near the end of his career. But for the longest time, Mongo held that record, which I always thought was a really cool record to hold. Um, but then again, like he did the dirty work um, and he, he rushed the passer from the interior, which sometimes is something that, you don't always get enough credit for, right? Like, because you're constantly facing those double teams on the inside and, and people having to account for him is what made Dan Hampton and Richard Dent Hall of Famers. So um, it's an honor that is, uh, it's overdue. And, um, and then like, so as a player on the field, I'm so happy he got it. But then also knowing uh, Mongo personally, you know, I've hosted um, several pre and post games with him in my career and he is um, just a great guy, right? So, like, to see a guy um, who, you know, justly deserves it, but then to also know him personally and to know that he is such a good guy, um, it just, you know, it really does warm my heart. Of course, um, it sucks what he's going through, you know, suffering from ALS. And so uh, that in itself is just heartbreaking, but I'm glad he finally uh, does is going to receive his just due and um, will be honored as an inductee in the uh, next Hall of Fame class. As far as Devin Hester goes, um, I was never somebody who always was like stumping for him. I think it's he's you know it, this is where you quibble with uh, Hall of Fame, right? Like like the famous, right? Like he is um, somebody who did what he did better than anybody. I, like, I guess the only, the only, I, I have no problem with him going in. I always get back to though. I look at some of the players, like, I guess this is where I have a problem with the way the pro football uh, hall of fame does it. I wish they were, they weren't so um, stingy in terms of letting players in because I believe it's uh, like five members every year who can actually go in as players. And then, you know, they've got some other, um, whatever it is, contributor, like set. I can't remember if it's seven or whatever it ends up, ends up, whatever they end up allowing to go in. But, you know, it's a little too limited in my mind. And there's a lot of players who are on the outside looking in who I personally would put in before I put in Devin Hester. But I don't have any problem with Devin Hester going in. I just wish the Pro Football Hall of Fame would recognize some of these other players as well. You know, someone like Tory Holt, I believe, is, you know, an absolute no-brainer Hall of Famer but he's still on the outside looking in, um, you know, there's some other, you know, great pass rushers as well, who I think deserve to be recognized who have not gone in yet. So I have no problem with Hester going in. I just, there's a lot of guys who I would have put in before I put him in. Um, but, you know, I'm glad to see he's going to get a chance. So that'll make it a pretty cool ceremony when they do uh, do that at the beginning of July. And then of course, Pep, I mean, you know, he was his his tenure in Chicago was short lived, but yeah. he was always one of the uh, not just a great pass rusher, but he was he played the run fiercely as well. So I think 
that's why it's so easy for him to, you know, be a first ballot Hall of Famer is because, um, you know, they he played the run just as well as he did uh, uh, excel in the pass rush. So he was a no brainer. But, um, you know, for, for Bears fans, you know, when he when they went out and signed him and brought him in, he really did kind of, I think, rejuvenate and kind of help the defense uh, hang on and, you know, have, have another second life during Lovey Smith's tenure for another three or so years after um, which, you know, if they had not done that, I don't know if Lovey Smith would have uh, been able to extend his coaching career for the Bears as long as he did. But bringing him in really did help uh, Brian Erlacher and Peanut Tillman and Lance Briggs kind of extend their their uh, careers as a dominant defense for a few years there. Uh, so the of course the uh, the other the, the million dollar question. So are you are you all on Caleb Williams or I mean, you're are you done with Fields? Basically, are you thinking they have to draft him or are you kind of not sure yet? No, I'm yeah. I'm I'm at the point where I think the Bears need to move past Justin yeah. Fields, you know. Figured, yeah. Yeah, it's and it's just there's too many instances on tape where you see some open receivers mm-hmm. or and, and his or guys who, you know, are NFL open where I just think he's reluctant to make those throws. And at this point, I'd be surprised if, you know, he all of a sudden comes back and shows you that he's willing to make those throws. Now I'm not saying he can't necessarily be successful in the NFL I think you know there's a chance with with some better skilled players a better offensive line around him where he might be able to you know help a team you know lead a team to the playoffs but I don't think you'll ever go into the playoffs with Justin Fields as your quarterback and feel like you're set up you know in a great spot you'll always be wondering okay is he going to uh, be able to compete with some of the better quarterbacks who he's going up against um, and so I, at that, at, with the, with the position the bears are in because Ryan Pulse was able to secure the number one overall pick, I think it's too good of an opportunity, uh, you know, select Caleb Williams. I, that's where I would go. Um, you know, but if, if, if Washington is willing to like absolutely, you know, blow you away with an offer and, and you like Drake may, um, you know, close to as much as you like Caleb Williams, then I'm okay with that scenario as well. But I personally, I'm hoping that Ryan Poles drafts Caleb Williams because um, as a Bears fan for far too long, you know, we've been hoping and wishing for a quarterback. And I think when you've got an opportunity in a a draft where, you know, most evaluators will tell you he's one of the best to ever come along out of the draft, I don't want to miss that opportunity. So uh, let's, let's, let's draft Caleb and, Hopefully, for once, the Bears will be the beneficiary of some great quarterback play. So I'm hoping that's the direction that Ryan Poles goes. Yeah, because if he, if he doesn't make that pick and then they, they go with Fields or something and then Caleb Williams is great elsewhere, Poles is done, basically, unless unless it works out with someone else at quarterback. But at least if he takes Caleb Williams and for some reason that doesn't work out, and there's got to be a lot of other factors that go into this team and every you know all that, but... It seems like the consensus is take Caleb Williams. So if for some reason that doesn't work out, I mean, I don't know what happens to uh, to, to Ryan Poles and, and the Bears in general. But you know, it just feels like it's a, it's too safe. I don't know if you want to say safe of a pick, but a safer pick than to pass on that. And then he's great somewhere else. And then it's like, how did you miss on this again? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Look. Uh, now it, you know, you you hope a GM. Is not playing like, but I I do think that's absolutely yeah. a valid point, and it's the human nature of if you're the general manager of a football team, knowing that you've already passed on C.J. Stroud, right? Um, you you know that it's going to be on your resume if if you choose to you willingly choose to pass on Caleb Williams as well, you better be absolutely right that he's not going to be great in this league. And um, but again. You'd hope that your general manager of a football team does not approach it that way, yeah. but you could understand why, as a human being, you're in that spot. You know, if he goes forward with Justin Fields, it's much more risky. You know, I don't. You yeah. know, there's there's not enough on the field on the tape on the tape that has shown you that you can know decisively that he's going to be your quarterback. And then, oh by the way, we all know that he's entering his fourth year, so you're going to have to make a decision on his contract as well. So everything about Justin Fields makes your job more difficult, right? Um, you know, so listen, if you draft Caleb Williams and he ends up not living up to and not being a great quarterback, 
Um, ultimately, it'll probably cost Ryan Poles his job, but that's kind of the gig, right? Yeah. But, but you know, that that's where if if you're someone like Ryan Poles and you think, okay, Drake May is the better quarterback, well, then then you better maneuver it, trade to the Commanders, and draft Drake May if if that's the way you feel. But ultimately, whatever you do with the quarterback this offseason, even if it is moving forward with J- Justin Fields, this decision is in all likelihood going to determine Ryan Poles, his future as the Bears GM. Whatever he chooses to do, however it plays out, this one decision will determine whether or not he is the Bears GM, you know, five years from now in all likelihood. Yeah, it, it just uh... – if if the Bears had drafted, let's say they drafted Patrick Mahomes, you know, whatever year that was, um, twenty seventeen, twenty seventeen, we never we never forget here in Chicago. Will not to say that they win all these Super Bowls or anything like that, but do you think? I mean, who knows? I guess it's like who knows what would have happened, but uh, do you think Mahomes is still great or Matt Nagy is the coach of you know so it's still the Nagy and Mahomes thing but do you feel like Mahomes still it's hard to say he'd be what he is today but yeah listen I I think he'd be great I don't know I don't know if he's got I don't know if he's got two Super Bowls I don't know if he he would have won one Super Bowl yet but I do feel pretty strongly he he would be great now I do think you know coaching matters you know so you know is it possible that he would be would he play football a little like a little closer to like the way Josh Allen does as a yeah. like a little bit more of a gunslinger? Would he potentially throw more interceptions if he didn't have somebody like Andy Reid in his ear, you know, right. excelling yeah. and teaching him? Yeah, I think it's possible, but I still think as you can see with the Bills and Josh Allen, you could still win football games that way, right? More often than not. And chances are, um, if Patrick Mahomes was playing that style in Chicago, um, Josh Allen might have a Super Bowl victory yeah. to his name because he wouldn't be going up against Patrick Mahomes who's ruining, you know, you know, all his shots at the Super Bowl. So, you yeah. know, it's it's one of those sliding door moments where I do think Pat Mahomes would be great. It's just uh, I don't know, I don't know if he would have a Super Bowl win just yet, but right. I do think he would be I do think he would be great no matter where he ended up. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I yeah, it's like it's hard to it's hard to play the what if game and be like, well, if this happened, what would he be, you know, doing this? But you're right. I think he'd be great. Maybe like you said, maybe it's a little bit lower on the bar as far mm-hmm. as, but he, you know, even Josh Allen's great, so makes sense. But uh, anyway, great talking with you again. Um, and uh, another year of the NFL was almost done already. Did you watch the Pro Bowl last weekend? <laughs> you know, I did not actually. And it's and and uh, last year I did watch quite a bit. I'm trying to remember what the heck I did last Sunday because, you know, it was the first Sunday where I didn't have football, like, right. like where I was like, like, so I'm trying to remember what I actually did. I don't even remember, Will, but no, I was certainly, I was not going out of my way to watch the Pro Bowl games last Sunday. I think I was just running around doing some errands and, oh, you know, and like, and my daughter who is uh, big into theater, she had some theater stuff that uh, I was attending last Sunday. So that, that ate up most of my day last yeah. uh last sunday but um no the pro bowl games was not uh high on my list of things <laughs> to do to the point where i did not even check in like like yeah. usually i'll kind of be like okay what happened i didn't even check out anything related to it on social media i didn't look at the clips i mean i know i do know that uh jalen johnson <laughs> had a couple of uh, plays to help secure the victory for his flag football team but outside of that i really um, I did not watch, I did not watch highlights. So, um, I, I was a little more into, uh, if anything, I was kind of checking out the NHL all-star Same. Fes- yeah. festivities because and, and I'm not saying I like the NHL all-star stuff better, but I had some more time on Friday night. So I watched their skills competition a lot more of that than I did the actual pro bowl stuff. And, you know, honestly, I think the only thing I even care about now of the pro bowl games is I'm, I'll sometimes get sucked into a little bit of the dodgeball just because I like a good old-fashioned dodgeball game. But aside from that, like, you know, flag football, um, Pro Bowl games is not for me, which is why I don't think I'll have any interest when it becomes an Olympic sport in 2026. So, <laughs> yeah. nevertheless. I, I actually dominated at dodgeball at a work function a couple of years ago, so maybe I am on an NFL uh, <laughs> level in something. But, um, yeah, uh, great to uh, catch up with you again. Um, 
what are you doing for the Super Bowl? You guys all go to Tom Waddle's house, right? So yeah, Waddle's always been a gracious host. He usually uh, he's never afraid to host a Super Bowl bash. But this year, he's actually in the process of moving. So oh. um, so he's actually not going to be hosting a Super Bowl party this year, which is fine. I, like I mean, I love going by Waddle's house, but I'm also totally cool. I actually just sent out the text uh, this afternoon to a couple of friends and said, "Hey." Uh, I got no plans for this uh, this Sunday. I don't know what you guys are up to, but if you want, swing on by. So I think they're going to come by and watch the Super Bowl, and we'll just hang out. And um, just you know, my family's actually. So I mentioned my my daughter. She's actually at a theater competition in Sacramento, California. So mm-hmm. my wife is with her. So they will not be here. And then my son is actually at a ski camp. Um, so I'm basically just chilling at the home oh, as okay. a bach- bachelor this weekend. So. Thus, I just, like I said, invited a couple friends over. I said, I'm going to be hanging out solo, so if you guys want, swing on by. So probably just uh, figure out what we're going to do for uh, food and snacks and do a little uh, a tame Super Bowl bash at my house. Nice. Do you do, uh, do, you do any of those prop bets, like uh, the national anthem, how long it'll be or whatever? Um, It depends. It depends on if the mood strikes me. I do uh, I do think that uh, from what I saw, the under the under is probably a pretty solid play on Reba McIntyre. <laughs> For yeah. the uh, the anthem, I think most mo- most sites have her at 88, 88 seconds. I think, um, and I think traditionally she's been well under that range. So there's a tip if you want if you're betting that. I think under on the uh, length of the anthem is probably the play this year. So um, otherwise, though, no, I don't really get you know I'm not really somebody who's you know big into betting the color color of the Gatorade when it's uh, <laughs> for the Super Bowl winning coach. Um, but yeah. hey, man, I, I I have no problem with anybody who who loves doing it. it may, if it makes the game more fun, totally cool. I'm I'm down for it. So.